And we are back to discuss some uh, something quite interesting, actually. We, we have been discussing this for a while, and uh, I'm glad we're kind of able to do it. It's essentially Game of Thrones' abandoned plot lines. So uh, a couple days ago, I get on YouTube, and someone recommends to me this YouTuber, Supercut Delights. Uh, Supercut's Delight, who is a guy that basically comes in and he takes a bunch of like uh, you know clips from certain shows and whatnots and compiles them together. And he had an interesting video called Game of Thrones Abandoned Plot Lines. And I actually wanted to discuss this with you. This is something that's been in the pipeline with us for a while mm -hmm. now. But uh, I've been wanting yeah. to get into it with you because every once in a while when we do a Thrones podcast, you will mention like, how come they never brought that back? Yeah. And, and so on and so forth. So would you like to go over Supercut Delights' uh, video about this? All right, let, let, let's do it. And it's funny because you... Carmine said, hey, I want to do this thing on abandoned plot lines on YouTube. I saw this video. So I Googled it, and I watched this video on abandoned plot lines. And then I come back, and I was like, yeah, I watched the, the video on 30 abandoned plot lines. And he's like, no, dude. It was a video on 42. And I was like, fuck, we watched different videos. Okay. <laughs> so, all right, let's, let, let's do it. What's the first, what's the first abandoned plot line? Uh, and before we do, uh, once again, also shout out to Supercut's Delight. I will leave a link in the description below to his video. It's actually pretty cool. It makes a lot of good points. But some points I don't agree with, which we will go into. Also, before we begin, SoundCloud, iTunes, all that good stuff, you guys know the drill. If you're still a patron on Patreon, then be on the lookout because I will be uploading uh, an exclusive. It's almost an hour long and kind of a lost episode at this point. Normally, before we start recording, we'll like banter back and forth and you know just to warm up and get in the groove of things. And this time, we went on for about an hour, almost an hour, on the topic of like television shows of 2019. So if you're interested in that, keep a lookout for that. It'll be like a Patreon exclusive because we do want to show some love to those of you who who are still supporting us. And uh, also, I hope to start live streaming more often on this channel. So I'll be opening up memberships on my channel if you guys are into that. And uh, yeah, also, we have a Discord, too. Just want to get this all out of the way. Uh, I know Preston whenever open up his own, so I made sure that all you Sweet Robin fans have your own little fan page on my Discord. So I'll leave a link in the description below if you're interested in that. Uh, I'm fairly active on there, so feel free to say hi. I love talking with you guys about everything. Thrones, Westworld, whatever. But uh, yeah, let's get to it. Yeah. Um, his first, uh, these, these are abandoned plot lines, by the way, to reiterate okay. that his first abandoned plot line here is Lightbringer. And what he says is that no other character mentions it again after Stannis pulls it out. And it's kind of a part of the Azor High prophecy, which also doesn't pan out. Um, the reason the whole Lightbringer thing doesn't really like matter much in the show is because it's symbolism. It's to make everybody think that Stannis is the Lord of Light because, you know, Lightbringer and all that. Yeah, I mean, what's funny is had they not brought Melisandre back with Arya to have these, like, fulfilled prophecy, prophecy things at the end, I would say that Lightbringer is, is not an abandoned plot line, that, that the entire point of Melisandre was figuring out that, that prophecy was bullshit and that, you know, none of this predicted the future at all. Um, and yet, then they undo that by having her come back for Arya. So then it becomes an abandoned plot line. Like, had they not had her come back for Arya, um, I would have said, well, yeah, no, that's the whole point. Like, Melisandre is a fraud, and, and prophecy is bullshit. The future is not set. We have free will. Like, that's a big theme of the show. Um, your Lightbringer is supposed to lead to nothing. Like, you know, Azor Ahai is supposed to lead to nothing. But then... All of a sudden, no, sometimes it does because Arya, you know, because Arya all of a sudden is 
the chosen one. So it's a little weird. I mean, if they were gonna if they were gonna bring in Azora High and Lightbringer and and have prophecy being fulfilled, it needed to be fulfilled through Arya, but they didn't do that. So yeah, it it's I wouldn't say it's so much an abandoned plot line because they did do prophecy all the way through. So that was it was never abandoned. Was there a big plot hole in the end? Yes, I think there's a plot hole. Yeah. Not to mention, Melisandre kind of like becomes a little useless and just boring um, after Stannis dies and she brings back Jon Snow. Because she has, yeah. after Stannis dies, she has this crisis of faith and where she's unsure of herself for like one or two episodes. And then she brings back Jon Snow and she's right back on that train. And that was kind of unfortunate. I, I, yeah. I know what you mean. You know, when I was younger, I used to really like uh, fantasy stories that had prophecy in them. And... Um, I mean, I really loved Angel, which the whole premise, at least of the first one and a half seasons, was that, you know, this one guy would get these visions and then they would have to save people in the visions. Later on, like now that I'm older, I kind of realized that it's just a, a plot device. Like, oh, I need, I, need to have, I need to have my characters do something without any motivation or logic. Oh, I'll have a prophecy. Like, do that. I need to have Melisandre, like, introduce... Uh, Daenerys and Jon Snow. Why does she want to do that? Prophecy. You know, it's, it's, it's a cop-out, I realized, like, later on, even though when I was younger, I used to love stories that involved prophecies. I thought that was really cool. But And what's when, funny is Song of Ice and Fire is filled with that shit. They're filled with visions, prophecy, right, fortune-telling. I, I mean, I believe... And granted that different people read it and they interpret it differently. Some people read Ice and Fire and they're like, all these prophecies are going to come true. And... I read it and I'm like, you're missing the point. The point is all these prophecies are lies. Like, and these are and it's two different ways of viewing it. Um, I think there's so many stories where prophecies come true. And I'm looking at it and going, no, everybody's being tricked. These prophecies are tricks. And that's George. I, I, that's why I think it's interesting. I think George R. R. Martin is, you know, you know, fucking with us by, by having these prophecies. Like, they're not coming true. Number two... Yeah. What the bell means. So the bells, uh, them being essentially a sign of surrender. Um, I complained about this when 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 episode uh, yeah, five not, came not down. Yeah, not an abandoned plot. Not an abandoned plot line. Just a a, a contradiction. Exactly, because uh, yeah. you have like in in season two, episode nine, Davos yeah. literally says, "I've never known bells to mean surrender." And yes. when King's Landing ran, uh, rang those bells in in season two, episode nine, uh, yeah. Battle of the Blackwater. It was, I guess, a sign to alert the city that Stannis has arrived. Right, you're right. When I when I say think abandoned plot lines, I think of Quaith or like Illyrio's uh, reason for being in the story and what he wants to do with Danny. Like those are abandoned plot lines. I'm so, glad you meant that mentioned Quaith because yeah. Quaith is number three. Quaith, Quaith appears... is number three. There's there's an abandoned plot line. <laughs> <laughs> she gives Jorah all the answers, knows everything, and is never seen again. She basically serves yeah. as a plot device to point Jorah in the right direction. I agree with him on this one. I think everybody, every YouTuber that does Thrones content has had a video on Quaith at one point. And, uh, yeah, I chalk, I chalk it up to just essentially, this is a weird place. Mar uh, not Marine. Um, Karth yeah. is a weird place with weird characters. Essos is like this weird and it's, it, it's kind of like, um, it's kind of like how the Vikings felt about like the Middle East. It's like this weird place, yeah. weird cultures. It's like a, a magical land, whatever. And, uh, Quaith is just one of those background characters who just happens to know a lot of things and it's just mysterious.
we, we, we notice it more as book fans because she's so integral in the book. Um, you know, Quaith shows up in the second book and, and has, has more scenes than she does in, in, the, in the show, despite the fact that Daenerys' um, role in A Clash of Kings is her smallest role in all of the books. I mean, not counting A Feast for Crows, but the, uh, the, um, she only has five chapters. But Quaith, um, in, that, in, that, in that book, but Quaith is a big role. And then we're reminded of her, even though the Quaith doesn't appear, in, in a storm of swords, we're reminded of her several times, and then she appears in dance uh, in a dance with dragons, and then it's it's probably retroactive continuity, but there's implication in a dance with dragons that all of the visions that Danny receives in the first book were given to her by Quaith, because mm. um, in the in in the books, Danny has all sorts of these dragon dreams and and various visions and and. In one of them, she has stars talking to her, and then later on, like, you know, it's in one of Danny's visions, she she's beginning talked to by Quaith, and her, you know, she, her mask is stars, you know. So the way I see Quaith in the show is essentially how um, in Sons of Anarchy, this is the best way I can describe it, because there's other reference, there's other instances of this in other shows, but the most famous one that people might know <clears throat> from watching our channels in Sons of Anarchy. Jax always encounters um, the homeless woman at random times, and she's kind of an enig- an, enig- uh, an enigma, uh, mm-hmm. like a random character that appears with like just who's super mysterious. I-, I I would assume Quaith is that character. I would have liked Quaith to appear more often in the show to give that aura of mystery because that's something the show is definitely lacking in in regards to the books. But yeah. um, no, Quaith is definitely an abandoned plotline. Lightbringer, eh, the bells, not necessarily. That that is a would you call that a mistake? That's just that's just yeah, a mistake, a contradiction. Mm-hmm. You know that they, they they brought out of nowhere and it happened to contradict like stuff that had come before. You know. Number four is Cersei's prophecy with Maggie the Frog. Cersei ends up having his his uh, point on this is that um, yeah. Cersei ends up having four kids and the prophecy I guess is incomplete. I would say it's incomplete in the sense where only two thirds of it is ever even uh, said aloud in the show because in the books we also get the whole Valencar thing. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely I would say it's an abandoned plot line as as she's obsessed with it and she talks about it and then she never talks about it again. Uh, I don't think she talks about it much in the show. I don't think she ever mentions it. It's only a brief flashback. She, in the she beginning. mentions it once to Jamie in the show. She does. Jamie's, yeah, she does. She says, "Oh, you know, the witch told me." And then Jamie says, "Fuck prophecy! Like, it doesn't mean anything." You know. Mm, um, I don't remember this. Wow. Okay. Yeah. No. There, there's one. There's one scene where she mentions it to Jamie. Uh, you know, they're in their bedchamber and all of that. But. Um, yeah, no, I, I would say that's an abandoned plot. Like, she should have still been obsessed with it. You know, they could have just had one line saying, huh, I'm pregnant again. The, the uh, you know, Maggie the Frog is wrong. Oh, yeah. The, the but witch they, is wrong. Whatever happened to the, uh, the bed of blood? That, that was supposedly like a thing. Everything was, everything about the leaks were true except that one thing. That never yeah, appeared. Yeah, it never happened. Mm-hmm. I agree with you on there, but the way he says it is that it, it's it's an incomplete prophecy because Maggie said three kids and she had four. Right, um, he's br- he's bringing up the wrong thing. I I, I would say that yes, there, there's a contradiction. That, you know, there, there's a mistake in the sense that in the show, uh, Cersei has four kids because she has one with Robert that dies in infancy, mm-hmm. um, or at least she tells Catelyn that. It could Something, be a lie. Someone could argue that, but. 
Lena Headey acts the hell out of that scene. So, I, you know, it seems pretty damn true based <laughs> on like the sincerity of how Lena Headey is, is, is selling it. Like we've seen Cersei be dishonest in the show and Lena Headey acts it like she's being dishonest. And we have moments where she's honest and Lena Headey acts it like she's honest. And she acted that scene like she was honest. Um, and so, yeah, I would say that it's just a contradiction. They fucked up that, that she has four kids in, in the show and the prophecy said she was only going to have three. And, but it's abandoned plot line later on in that she never mentions it after that season ever again. Um, yeah, but so two different things. It is an abandoned plot line, but he's mentioning it as a contradiction. Number five is John's identity didn't go anywhere and just served as a means for conflict between John and Danny. By the end of the series, it's practically forgotten that John is a Targaryen and how none of the uh, the, the lords at the um, uh, the ending meeting in season eight really ever bring it up, considering Varys tells them all about it. I you know I, I don't I don't think it was really dropped. I mean, Danny Danny is still mistrusting John. All the way up until the end, uh, Varys is is executed for for trying to put John on the throne. Like all the way halfway through the last season, I think it's um, I think it's not as important as people thought it was going to be based on the fandom pumping up R plus L equals J. Right. Uh, because so many people thought he, he was supposed to be this prophecy fulfilling. Um, you know, wonder, you know, on the same level as Harry Potter and Luke Skywalker and Jesus and Neo and all of that. <laughs> and he, he just, it wasn't. It, the plot, the reason for it, R plus L equals J was to fuel um, division between him and Danny. That was the point of it. Mm -hmm. You know, and it caused him to not want to bang her and, and things like that. So it had repercussions. Like, it had huge repercussions. Like... John and like you know, Danny became distant, and eventually like killed King's Landing. Had R plus L equals J never come out, like she would have had the loving relationship with John. He would have you know advised him more. She wouldn't have become paranoid. So no, I I would say that that is not an abandoned plot line at all. <laughs> it it completely went the way it was supposed to go, and you know that was the end. You know. Mm -hmm. Uh, number six, the White Walker symbols went nowhere and are almost pointless. Bran is essentially uh, omniscient, yet none of the characters ask him what the symbols mean, especially when they take the time to create them. Remember, I think this is something yeah. you complained about, or I don't... Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, no, I'd agree. This is an abandoned plot. Yeah. How, uh, like, in episode... Was it... I think it was episode one or two when, um, Tormund goes to, uh, Last Hearth, and uh, they, the White Walkers took the time to chop up all those bodies, nail them to the wall, and set them aflame, yet nobody knows what the symbols mean. I, will, I would argue that the answer to all of this, um, and the next one to number seven, which we'll get to in a minute, I would argue that the answer to everything White Walker related, the symbols, the, the kids being turned into them, was going to be explained in the Long Night prequel, which they had in the, the yeah. pipeline for a long so time. So they didn't, they didn't want to explain it in the show, because, mm -hmm. uh, in Game of Thrones, because they had the prequel in the pipeline at the time. That would be my guess. They want it to be one of those things where you're like, oh, when you're watching the prequel, the Long Night prequel, and you'll say, oh, that's what that means. Okay. And then, you, you know. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it's not much of a plot line. I mean, it's, you know, they, they show these symbols every once in a while. You know, maybe once a season, 
Uh, and then it just, yeah, it doesn't, we don't know, we never find out what they mean. It, it's certainly something that's abandoned and never explained, uh, but, you know, I don't know if, it, if it's fully a plot line. It, that's not much of a plot, showing, showing a bunch of symbols. I, I would like confirmation that they were going to explain it in the Long Night prequel and they just never got a chance to because yeah, it got canceled. Yeah. Number seven is the White Walker base of operations. It's never revisited, and neither are the children that get turned into White Walkers. So... In ep in season four, I think it was mm. episode four or five, when the white when the Night King takes the child, Craster's kid, and turns him into a a, a White Walker, um, there's a, the place he's actually walking to with the pillars made of ice is actually yeah. like this really intricate looking ice pal not palace but like little base little little hideout that they have sure, sure. and it's never really revisited um neither are the the baby getting turned into white walkers once again um, i think it's mostly they were going to explain all this in the long nights but we never got to yeah, it yeah i mean i don't i don't necessarily think it needs to be re revisited i wouldn't say that's an abandoned plot it's just they, they had a setting they visited it and then the the, the story moved somewhere else i mean we, we never go back to Storm's End. Or am I, is, is that supposed to be an abandoned plot line? Well, they, it kind of is. But <laughs> <laughs> we never go back to, you know, yeah. I don't know. I don't think it's so much of an abandoned plot. Yeah, we never find out what that, you know, more about where they lived. Like, what does the Night, the Night King's bed look like? I don't know. It's, it's not that big a deal. I wouldn't say that's an abandoned plot line. Uh, I would argue this one kind of is. Number eight, Mira yeah. Reed just kind of disappears. Yeah, I mean, they gave her a goodbye, but they never really explain what happens why, to her and where she goes. Yeah, why Jojen got those visions and what, what he was really explaining to, to Bran. One of the things that was really weird about um, the whole Jojen plotline is they, they, they do show Jojen spending all of this time with Bran talking, but they're always a little off screen where you can't really hear what they're saying or you hear like the end of their conversation like you'd be like and that and that's the history and that brings us to here you know and you and you didn't hear everything before and you're like oh i would have really liked to hear that conversation rather than than mira and and osha having an argument you know which was which was the the b plot of of that uh you know area um so i mean they never really explain the reads uh, Which is kind of know. annoying because this is something I noticed in season eight, in season seven, um, actually no, in season six, the the Glovers won't join John in his battle against the, the Boltons, and yeah. then at the very end of season six, uh, the Lord Glover says, "House Glover will stand with House Stark," and then in season seven, there's a complete sentence about Sansa, and even in eight, it gets brought up again. That yeah. the Glovers won't join them in the fight against the White Walkers. The Reeds really should have like joined in. Like they really should have sent some guys. Every house should have sent a couple. Oh of yeah, them. and 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 it's it's the problem is is it's also kind of this dropped thing in the book. Like like everyone talks about oh Howland Reed was was Ned Stark's like best friend and most loyal companion, and it's like great because Howland Reed has done fuck all for House Stark <laughs> <laughs> in in A Song of Ice and Fire. Jesus Christ, like, Rob raised an army to march south. Everybody sent people. House Reed didn't send anyone. Well, to be fair, then, House Reed kind of guards the neck. They kind of make it so, like, armies can't a, pass what through. A, what a great job they did there. I mean, Victoria <laughs> took it. 
I mean, well, the, you know, the Ironborn which, which, came out of nowhere from the coastline, so sure. And then, and then Rob had to like turn around and go north, and then he ends up getting killed at the at the uh, the Red Wedding, and then you know, Theon takes control of Winterfell, and the North rises to take it from him, and the Reeds, you know, the Reeds don't help, don't you know help then, and then. You know, Stannis wants to liberate the North from from Roos, and they're not helping. Then, you know, they're they're a bunch of dicks. Damn, you know, Alan Reed's <laughs> dropping the ball. That's why these theories come out of nowhere that Howland is actually secretly the High Sparrow. Right, or Howland's doing all this work behind the scenes because it's so hard for them to believe that he's just doing fuck all, <laughs> holding his dick. <laughs> and and I will say though, um, I don't remember. I I have to go back and watch season three again. I don't remember how Bran and Jojen and Mira all met, like how the, the, the siblings met Bran. I think it's when he's like running away from Winterfell being burned to the ground. But I don't remember the scene of when they met. They just kind of have met and that's it. Like they meet really quickly and then they get really into it. I feel like a lot of the interactions in season three were rushed. Yeah, um, they just kind of meet in the woods. Obviously in the, in the book, they meet at the Harvest Festival. Yeah, it was uh, way before that. And like, they have like this yeah. whole thing too, right? Yeah, they, they, they spend... There's a whole so introduction. They, right, so they, you know, it happens in A Clash of Kings, or the, the second book, while the reeds don't appear um, until the third season. So, the, you know, all of that time at Winterfell and um, of, of Bran governing Winterfell and Theon eventually taking Winterfell. Like in the book, the reeds are there. But in the show, they're not. And then as he's walking north, he stumbles into them. And I, I think there's like a standoff in the woods or something. Where, mm-hmm. you know, um, where it's, it's hostile at first, and then they explain each other or whatever. And, you know, Number nine out. is the prince that was promised. It doesn't, go any, it doesn't get brought up again after like season seven. So after Melisandre gives Danny the prophecy in season seven, um, it doesn't really get brought up again. It kind of goes away along with the Lord of Light and everything else when Melisandre dies in episode three, in episode three of season eight. Yeah, um, and, and yeah, I mean, to be fair, neither John nor Danny really takes the prophecies seriously. So they, you know, it's it's completely fine that they go on. Um, prophecy is all about Melisandre, and so they do end like. Melisandre's plotline with prophecy, so it's not completely, you know, dropped. It's just that she changes everything to Arya, but Arya doesn't really fit any of all of these other things. So I wouldn't say it's completely dropped. I just think it's they brought up too many prophecies, and you know they they weren't fulfilled. Um, you know, it would have been fine had they not done Arya because then Melisandre would be a broken person who realized all of these prophecies were crap and she was a fraud. And, you know, they tried to resolve it by having Arya, have her not be a fraud and having Arya fulfill everything, but she didn't really fulfill everything. So Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say it's completely abandoned. I just think they did it badly and they didn't wrap up all of the loose threads of it. But I certainly don't think that prophecy, the prince that was promised or any of that was abandoned. Like they clearly go, they, you know, they clearly end it with Arya. Like, that's how it's done. I still think it should have been Theon. Theon was the perfect candidate for the prince, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. Um, sure. Out of I mean, left field. I, I, that, that would subvert expectations. You're expecting John and Danny to be the prince, but it was really Theon. Because he was Prince of Winterfell, you know, born in the salt and smoke, you know, the ocean. Um, yeah. You know, it's... 
Oh, was, I mean, so many, so many things would have worked better than Arya. But. It was, it was all the. <laughs> you, you just hate Arya. That's not your favorite character. I, I, I at hate, all. I hate, I hate show Arya. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, I like Maisie Williams. I like book Ar- I like book Arya. I'm actually only neutral on book Arya. But yeah, <laughs> but, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not, you know, show, show Arya. I'm just, I'm just not a big fan, especially like, once she becomes a badass. Mm-hmm. You know, once, she, once she leaves Bravos. I especially hate her, but yeah. Number 10 is the Golden Company being a threat. Now, I would argue that this would be an abandoned plotline if they hyped them up way more than they did. Um, The Golden Company get mentioned briefly in season, I want to say, four? Where Davos says, we we can hire the the Golden Company. And Stan is like, the Golden Company? Like... Ah, they they get mentioned again in season seven where Cersei wants to hire them, um, and they look like a credible threat. You know, with the war elephants and the two thousand horses. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not it's not a pol- abandoned plotline at all. It's just an anticlimactic result. Which I mean, to be fair, they wanted it to be an anticlimactic result. Like they built up this this army, it arrives, and then it's immediately destroyed by Danny in order to show like how powerful her, her dragon is. Like it was intentionally anticlimactic. Now, did it work? In my opinion, no. But that was clearly their intention. Like they did everything they they did everything they wanted to do. It, I just don't think it landed. Mm-hmm. But it's certainly not an abandoned plot line. No. I, I will say I still love it when you when you're complaining about like why did Grey Worm had to kill uh, uh, Henry <laughs> yeah. Strickland? Like did they have some kind of rivalry that we weren't aware of? No, and, and in fact, in <laughs> fact, the. The Golden Company plotline, it's more than just that. It's the, the crown's debt, which goes back to season one, like eventually transitions into you know, getting the Golden Company and the Iron Bank. It's a continual thing, and it keeps going, and it leads to the Golden Company, and then it just all ends anticlimactically. So it's, it's, it's not abandoned at all. In fact, for, it's, I am really surprised that they kept going with it. The crown's debt... And, and having it paid back. I was really so, I thought they were going to drop it because frankly it's, you know, debt problems are not the most interesting of, of plot lines. But no, they kept going. They kept mentioning the Crown's debt and then it kept going and then they needed to pay it back and they had the whole Loot Train episode where Jamie has to get his gold back to, to King's Landing, um, which leads to the Golden Company. That was, it, was a long, it was a long fulfilled plot line it was not a good plot line, but it was it was certainly not abandoned. It was it was well maintained. It was there. It had a resolution. So there's I'm even a whole not, scene with it with Stannis when he goes to the Iron Bank, and yeah, there's absolutely. one with um, Cersei, not Cersei. I think Tywin and Jaime, where Tywin tells either Jaime or Cersei that their gold mines dried up. Yeah, and and you know in in the in the first season, you know they talk about they talk about how they're they're in debt and to Tywin to the Iron Bank then yeah. No, um, I'm saying Littlefinger brings this up at the small council mm. with, with Ned. So, I mean, it, it's, it's a continuous plot line. It's never dropped. It, it evolves. And does it land? No. But is it a good plot line? No. But it, it's not abandoned. No. Okay. <laughs> moving on. Uh, your favorite character, number 11, Arya using faces. Several seasons of training to use this ability, and it's only used once outside of Bravos. She even brings a mask with her to Winterfell, and it's never used. Yeah, that's abandoned. That's abandoned. Uh, <laughs> yeah. There's nothing we, no, can, I mean, nothing we can go into on that one. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, she goes, she goes to Bravos to, to become a faceless man. The whole, the whole 
you know, essence of being a faceless man is, is the changing of one's face. She doesn't use it for anything significant. But she does I get mean, the training to kick ass, so... Kind of? I mean, she has a montage where she fights with a stick. And then somehow she comes back a really great swordsman and can jump out of trees or something and, and stab people. And, and we never see that training used. <laughs> had they had a specific training where the waif is teaching her to drop daggers and catch them, and, and that would be something. But they didn't. They, they had a montage of some staff fighting, which she never uses. And... And her face, her face changing thing is is used to like kill off the phrase, which, which wasn't even very necessary because she poisoned them all. She could have just, I don't know. So I don't know. It, it's an, it's definitely an abandoned plot. That's an, that's that's pretty bad. Number twelve is Bran working into things. He doesn't use his working abilities outside of working into ravens. Um, yeah, after he goes yeah, yeah. goes into the training with the Three-Eyed Raven, he just only ever wargs into ravens and only ever uses them to scout ahead. Yeah, and I would say it goes, goes beyond that. Like, his, his whole knowledge and history of the world and everything is not used at all. Like, it doesn't help them at Winterfell. It doesn't... So maybe it'll help him be a good ruler in the end, but we don't know. He doesn't see. He. It seems like he's leaving everything to a small council while he goes looks for Drogon. Um, he uses. He doesn't use his knowledge, his infinite knowledge. He doesn't use his warging, uh, his skin changing. Yeah, it's completely dropped plot. Like there's no reason for him to go north of the wall. Mm-hmm. I mean, other than to get a really great story. Uh, number thirteen, <laughs> Bran interacting with the past. Nothing is pretty made. Nothing is pretty much made of it since the Hodor incident. It could have had potential. I, I would argue that oh, yeah, this is. Travel, yeah. I would argue that's for the best because when you introduce time travel <laughs> into the story, it really fucks it up. Uh, even yeah, even so J.K. Would, Rowling realized that. Yeah. No, I would say that the time travel is definitely a dropped plot. You know, they brought up time travel. You know, they expanded on the time travel and then. You know, it, it it didn't go anywhere. I thought it was going to incorporate with the like the best theory I've ever heard, which is that the whole thing is a loop. The White Walkers are trapped in this eternal uh, life where they just want to right. die, and or that Bran Bran caused the you know Ares to to blow up and, and plant the wildfire. Or right, whatever. right. I love that yeah, one. That one was but, great. Yeah, but it didn't it didn't go anywhere. Yeah, that was completely Bran Bran's training and. I mean, in the same way as Arya's training, essentially. They go and they get this really incredible ability, and then the ability isn't used. Mm-hmm. Uh, 14, Darren Naharis is basically abandoned, so that would be space for Jon Snow. I, no, I mean, I would say that on his conversation, on his um, journey with Jorah, he does talk about how Danny. he's really interested in seeing how Danny is going to change the world and be a ruler. And that's the thing he's most looking forward to. And I think it's a little fitting that in the end he's the ruler and he has to be the one that leads the new world. Um, I think they could have expanded on it a bit more, but I think it was there. I think Dario had a full, I think Dario had a full story. Um, you think so? Yeah. I think he, he, he spent his time super, like admiring Danny and her revolutionary ways and how she was going to be a great ruler. And then he became the ruler. And, um, and now, you know, it's not about, it's not about him watching and seeing it's about him doing it himself. Now, I don't think they, I don't think they like, you know, they needed to hit it on the head a little more 
Like, I, you know, I'm kind of like reading into the situation and, and writing it myself a little bit. But he does have this long conversation with Jorah about about like the world that, that Danny is going to lead and how he's looking forward to it. And so, I don't know, him being him being a ruler and Marine. I, I don't think it's I think it's fine. I don't think it's an abandoned plot line. We, we, we I think that there's plenty of contradictions in in the taking of Marine and all of a sudden the enemy disappearing. Um, but once you make Dario the, the ruler, it's happily ever after. And, you know, that's it. Mm. I mean, it, it's cheap, but like, that's, that's an ending. Like, you know, I mean, it's like, it's like getting to the end of a romantic comedy and being like, and being like, oh, and then they got together at the end. But then we never see if the relationship works out. Like, no, that's, that's not what a romantic comedy is about. Like, <laughs> it ends with them getting together. The story is over. The character's Yeah, happily ever over, after. Yeah. Like, yeah, like Dario had a happily ever after. That's it. I would that's have liked to see some somewhat of like, uh, maybe it's just um, I want to see more of an update on, so, on some of the things that happen afterwards. You know, does Dario eventually quit being king of Marine and give it over to some kind of council, some kind of democracy, and just go off and do his own thing? Because he doesn't seem like the ruler type. No, no. But like I say, I think they needed a couple more conversations. He had his good. He had that really good conversation with Jorah. I think he needed a few more mm-hmm. about about what he like. We hear about his background and things like that. Like, had he like put in. A little more about the kind of ruler he would be or what he would do if he were in charge. You know, it would have been a little better. But, like, why would he make a great leader? Right. Fifteen, now that Danny is is, uh, dead, wouldn't the slavers come back? The Essos plot is kind of left behind. Um, Well, this is the same as Dario, right? Like, yeah, that's, that's just, it's bad logic and bad writing to get to there. But we've, like, the story came to a happy ending with Dario. We just have to accept it's a happy ending with Dario. Mm-hmm. Peace and prosperity with Dario. Uh, your favorite character, Robin Aaron, was abandoned after Sasa left the Vale. Would have made sense. Would have made more sense if he showed up at the end of the Battle of the Bastards with uh, uh, Lord Royce. Um, I would argue Robin Aaron really isn't a central focus of anything. He's the Lord of the Vale, and as such, he belongs in the Vale. His fight yeah. is not really with the Boltons, though. The fact that he dispatched, or under you know under Littlefinger's advice, dispatched soldiers to help out his cousin is yeah. is good enough for this character. I mean, I think it's mo- I think the the larger plot hole is it's not really an abandoned plot line because his army you know, takes the north. And his army is always there. You still see those Vale Lords. Mm-hmm. I think the plot hole is he, they had the huge force and then they kind of shrink in size and, and northerners start respawning. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah, like the, know you the, northern, the northerners have been through so many battles that there should be like four of them left. <laughs> yeah. And yet, like, they keep respawning over and over and over again. And then, you know, while... Robin Aaron's army, which should be enormous, like, kind of shrinks. And the Vale forces and... did not even enter the War of Five Kings, no. They, they stayed in the yeah. Vale to protect their, their lord like Lysa wanted. Yeah, so, I mean, I think there's plot holes, and <clears throat> but I, I don't think it's an abandoned plot line. Like, like, you know, if anything, if any, if any storyline to Robin Aaron was there, it was that he was kind of an ineffective ruler, kind of a weak ruler. Like, he, the guy can't even yeah. uh, shoot a use, a, use a bow and arrow. He can't even, like, you know, uh, form a sentence without, like, crying for his mommy. And, right. and then uh, all of a sudden he's fine. All of a sudden he comes right. back and he's tall and handsome, so. 
Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, and that's never explained. Like, yeah, that's a weird abandoned plot line. Like, how, do, how does he go from, from being this, like, you know, needy, weak kid to being a regular person? Yeah, I don't know. So, yeah, it's... But at the same time, in the show, Robin Aaron's not that big of a deal. So to say, like, oh, we never get an explanation. Like, Robin Aaron in the show is really minor character. He's really minor, so... I'm going to skip over number 17 because that I, I'm, I'm assuming this is a joke. It was a joke, actually. 17 oh, was uh, the Unsullied being eunuchs. In one scene where we see an Unsullied extra had a big bulge. So this is a comedic point on uh, <laughs> Supercuts. Uh, is, uh... I mean, yeah, yeah, I guess. <laughs> it's more of, a, more of a plot. That's more of a contradiction or a mistake. But maybe he has a big scar. We have no idea. <laughs> and it bulges out? Okay. Uh, yeah, 18, not? Davos remembering that Tyrion killed his son. It was brought up one time in season 7 and then immediately forgotten. In fact, the quote is, Last time I was here, you killed my son with wildfire. And then he immediately tells Tyrion about a secret path the guards don't patrol. Uh, go back and watch the scenes for those of you who are uh, who forgot. It's episode four, season seven, when uh, Tyrion wants to have a secret discussion with Jaime. He literally says, "Last time I was here, you killed my son." By the way, yeah. there's an entrance over there the guards don't patrol it. That's literally the line. And uh, you yeah. always complain about this that Davos never brings uh, it up. I do. It's 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 just out of character. I wouldn't say an abandoned. Well. I, I would say on a, on a larger sense, um, Davos's um, wrestling with his his family and the religion of R'hllor and what he, like his place in the world is more of the dropped plot line. Like I would say that Davos in general is the dropped plot line. <laughs> now now whether whether or not like Davos like you know forgot about his son or whatever and is friends with Tyrion. Yeah, that's just a contradiction. I wouldn't say it's a, an abandoned plot line. I think it's bad character writing. Um, but it, the the thing that's abandoned is Davos's entire character arc. Yeah, like, that is true. How does this How does this man go from from being dedicated and devoted to Stannis and hating Melisandre for the murder of his son, and then hating Melisandre for everything she is and for for murdering Shireen? You know. Where does that plot go? Like, why does Jon Snow fill that hole for him? Um, and we never really get the good reason for, for why Jon Snow would fill that hole. He has one nice conversation with, with Tormund about faith in kings and then immediately undoes it. He's like, maybe we shouldn't like, have faith in kings. Oh, Jon Snow isn't a king. Well, he is a king. <laughs> you know, like, it doesn't... Yeah, it's... Uh, that's what's dropped is Davos's arc. Not really... I mean, I hate the fact that he never really confronts Tyrion about that mm. and, and, and is fine with Tyrion and is friends with Tyrion. Um, I hate that. It's a contradiction, but it's not really an abandoned plot line. The abandoned plot line is, is Davos's entire character arc. <laughs> <laughs> Number 19 is Danny remembering that Jaime tried to kill her during the Battle of the Gold Road. So in Season 8, Episode 2, when Jaime arrives in, in uh, Winterfell... Uh, obviously, he's brought before Danny, and she gets on his case for the murder of her father. But uh, I don't recall her mentioning that Jamie tried to kill her 
during the whole uh, Scorpion ordeal when the Scorpion hits Drogon, doesn't kill him, but he falls, he, he comes to the ground, and, he, and Jamie's about, he's rushing at her with the horse, he's about to spear her, and then he's about to get roasted by Drogon when he realizes that Jamie's coming until Bronn saves him. So, yeah, Danny. I mean, she just didn't, she just didn't realize it was Jamie. Yeah, I would argue otherwise, that. Otherwise, I mean, well. Otherwise, she would have gone for his body. I mean, look, it's a really stupid scene. Don't get me wrong. It's, it's, one of the it's, fucking it's very dumb. Dumbest, it's one of the dumbest fucking scenes in the show. Him sinking to the bottom of a lake in full armor and then having Bronn somehow fish him out like a mile like <laughs> away and then not getting picked up by Danny's forces. Like it's really fucking stupid. Um, doesn't make sense, but not really an abandoned plot line. I... Well, Supercut Jamie. argues that there are not a lot of people wearing uh, specifically gold armor and a gold hand out there. So, but at the same, I mean, she doesn't know, she doesn't know that shit. Eh, yeah. She's an ESOS, you know, what does she know? Uh, number 20, the Lord of Light. After the Battle of Winterfell, the whole Lord of Light plot is dropped. We don't get any answers to many of the mysteries surrounding the whole religion. All the priests and priestesses seem to just vanish. Um, I gotta agree with that. Lord of Light kinda just goes away after the White Walkers are done for. Yeah, I mean, I guess, but like I say, it's like all part of the Melisandre plot, but, um... But yeah, it's 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 pretty silly. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially I mean, if are we going the whole world? Because I w- I would say that the Kinvara plot. Oh, that's in here. We'll and, get to that. Okay, I would say that like you know, I would say the Slavers Bay Lord of Light plot is definitely dropped, and and the Volantis Lord of Light plot is definitely dropped. If we're talking about like Lord of Light stuff in in Westeros, I mean. It's all with Melisandre, so... It was all with Melisandre and uh, Thoros of Mir. And when he died, half of it died with him. A good chunk of it died with him until Melisandre comes back for one episode in season eight. And then that goes... Uh, but the sla- the Slavers Bay Volantis stuff definitely that's oh, definitely yeah, a dropped plot. The whole Volantis thing is like even for, you you only saw it for like what five minutes. Yeah. Someone preaching about Danny being like you know the second coming and stuff, and that's just right. didn't go anywhere. And then Kenvaro Ken arrives. Yeah, it's it's yeah. Yeah, no, they definitely should have had something. I was really, ex- I was truly expecting Melisandre to return with a bunch of, you know, s- you know, soldiers from the east, but she didn't. She just arrived. It was just her. Twenty-one. Magic in general is never explained and just used as a fantasy element. Um, this is this is not really an abandoned thing. This was this was uh, thought out from the beginning. So I would argue that we probably would have had more magic and vision and prophecy had the show been like kind of like supernatural where it just goes on for 15 seasons of just like episodes, episodes, episodes. But uh, mm. Dave and Dan never really wanted magic to being a big part of the show because they wanted to uh, attract the wide audience of like, you know, athletes and moms and, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, Not just yeah. the nerdy fantasy D&D players who might watch the show. They wanted more of a crowd <laughs> than nerds. Um, yeah, no, and, and it's one of those things that I, I compliment um, Dan and Dave on. I think this is one of the things they did really well mm-hmm. is that they kept magic to a absolute minimum. Um, you hate magic in like the whole thing so much that you're trying to like you're trying to like you're tr- you're trying to like recategorize it from magic to like actual like sci-fi stuff, sci-fi elements. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it's true, but I, I mean, even in the book, I would say that, that nearly everything can be explained with sci-fi elements, but. The show goes even further and removes so much of the magic that's even in the book. Like, in, you know, a lot of people have to explain the stuff in the book. Like, oh, how did Melisandre cause, you know, Orel's eagle to explode when Stannis takes the wall? 
And it's like, well, how do we explain that? There's a lot of weird explanations. Like maybe he was trying to cross the wall. Do we, did Melisand do we know if Melisandre really caused an eagle to explode? Why has she never used that power again? You know, like, so it, they they removed all that. So all those they removed things. it, but at the same time they concentrated it on specific characters. Because I feel like a lot of characters in A Song of Ice and Fire have these magical abilities, but then when you come to the show, only certain characters like Thoros, Kinvara, and uh, Maggie the Frog to some extent, and even Melisandre have it. For example, uh, Melisandre and Kinvara they are able to look at people and just figure things out about them. I mean, Melisandre yeah. never met Egret, but she was able to utter Egret's favorite catchphrase, you know nothing, Jon right. Snow. And uh, what about Varys's, um, uh right. torturer who cut his, uh, his stuff off and fed it to the flames and heard yeah, it? Yeah, th- and Kinvara knows all about she it. She knows right. all about it. So uh, they, they mm-hmm. relegated magic, and they made it subtle. M- Melisandre's not throwing fireballs like it's Lord of the Rings. She's just, you know, doing certain things. She didn't make Orel's yeah. eagle explode in the show, but she's able to look at John and, you know, know things about him. So it's a very subtle, magical presence, yeah. but it's still there. I like it. So I wouldn't say it's abandoned. I would say it's just, that's what, that's, that's what the idea was from the beginning. Yeah. 